Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello and welcome to New Business Paradigms. I'm Matt Renner, the Executive Director of the World Business Academy. And I'm here with Ronaldo Brudico, the Academy's president and founder. The World Business Academy is a nonprofit business think tank and action incubator dedicated to transforming the consciousness of business leaders, business students, and the public at large in order to inspire business to take responsibility for the whole of society. And the good news is, it's happening. Does it feel like the world is a little unsettled right now, like the future is very hard to predict and uncertainty is pretty much the only thing we can be sure of for the next six months? Well, we're going to talk about this and get into some of the details, including what you can do and what you can expect uh, in the next months in to-, in- to protect your assets in these uh, what Ronaldo would call interesting times. So, Ronaldo, let's start with the present moment, our massive paradigm shift that we're in the middle of. And then we'll end the show today with predictions about where this will all shake out starting in about 2017. Good. Yeah, uh, first of all, I'm going to – thanks, Matt. I, w- I want to do something that um, has been on an open question for a very long time. And I frequently get asked, even when I'm at like cocktail parties or various places, you know, you keep saying don't buy gold. It's not time. It's not time. When would it be time to buy gold? And so I want to start the show today by saying I think it's time to start buying some gold. I don't think you ought to go crazy. I don't think it's something where you got to put your whole portfolio into gold. But I'm recommending that people take a portion of their portfolio and put it into gold at this time. Why am I doing that after all these years of telling you that gold was not the best investment? It's yet? been quite a few years, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, since 2008, actually. And, um, and, 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 and I'm glad that we did that because gold didn't rise. And what I said to people was, if you put it there and you keep it, you're going to pay to store it if you have actual gold, or you're going to lose the value of your money if you just have it sitting in gold. So why stick it in gold when you're going to do better in the stock market? And that's what the stock market is at an all-time high. And it's there's there was no reason to move into gold, and so we didn't. But there's two reasons now to move into gold. One of them is fear, and one of them is inflation. And those are the two hallmarks I always look for when I want to see what the likely price of gold is going to be. So between now and the November 7th election, I believe you're going to see both fear increasingly, and I think you're going to see increasing inflation. The early signs are already with us. So we could start by talking about fear first, or we could talk about the uh, uh, the, the uh, inflationary issues. But both are relevant today, and I think this is a really pivotal moment, uh, and, and people need to know that. So if you, if you are a person who listens to this show because you're looking for really timely, pivotal advice, This comment I'm making about gold is a very pivotal moment for you. So um, if I were looking at my portfolio, I would say you'd want at least 10, no more than 20% gold. And my recommendation is at this stage, you buy it in something that's easy and inexpensive, which would be uh, an indexed fund. So you don't want the actual gold showing up in a Brinks truck at your doorstep yet. It might come to that, but not now. So that's the way you'll protect yourself against both the fear factor and the inflationary risk. Let's start with the fear factor uh, because I think it goes along with a, a lot of the bigger trends we're seeing. 
And then we'll talk about inflation second. Does that make sense? Sure. So where are we in the fear factor? I mean, it feels like we're in a paradigm shift with the, the massive choices and the disintegration of old uh, institutions and the rise of new ones. Uh, can you can you talk about what you're seeing? Yeah, I think that um, we have, and I want to contrast this with Brexit. I want to come back to Brexit in a, in a second. Because people, when they look at Brexit, they say, gee, how could the British do that? And boy, if that could happen in Britain, Trump could get elected in America. I mean, they make this false equivalency. Uh, so let's just start with, with, with the domestic elections in, in America and then go to the implications overseas. The domestic elections in America, and this is not a political comment. I want to remind people, when we look at politics, what we look at is what are the implications for the, the financial sector, for money, for the economy. I don't look at politics on this show as a as a um, as its purpose. Our purpose is not to um, to get new people to go out and vote for Bernie Sanders or um, you know whatever our, influence our, legislation in any way. We're just looking yeah, at the, uh, yeah. We're just looking at what what's the implication. Right. So the implication. This is an election where we have a paradigm shift of massive proportions. Uh, you used an analogy a little what earlier today, and I really liked it. It's it's sort of like we're about to be born, whether we like it or not, and so we're going to leave this comfortable, relatively comfortable womb we've been in, and we're going to go through this dark, really moist and unpleasant place called the birth canal. And if a little bit of luck, I come out, we come out alive, and the mother survives too. And but no, we're, no cord wrapped around our neck. No cord wrapped around our neck. Oh, this circumstance could be. Yeah. So. Um, so that's really kind of what we're going through. Now, why is that the case? And why is this unlike any other time? We have never had a clash at any time in the history of America when someone was running for president like the clash we currently have. So, so there really is no, there's, it, it, there's no equivocation here. It's a clear, crystal clear choice. So what are the choices? So on one side, the choice is race baiting. On the other side, inclusion. On one side, it's misogyny. Um, you know, basically thinking that women should be kept pregnant and in the kitchen, versus women breaking through the glass ceiling once and for all—the ultimate glass ceiling, as was the presidency of the United the States. The president of the United yeah. States. So that's about the role of women. So we talked about, in effect, um, so misogyny is one thing. We talked about racism, direct clash what we talked about someone who has been who spent their entire adult life trying to get themselves richer and never did anything for the public good versus someone who's lived her entire life as a kid in chicago a white kid in chicago a girl going down to work with um, the, the, the civil rights movement yeah. in the south yeah i call that service versus selfishness yeah service versus selfishness uh i would say another part of the clash is they're both rich so it's not a question about does the rich guy win it's about one who believes that only rich guys should win so that the average new tax break he's asking for for people like himself 1.3 million a year is totally outrageous so you got the the clash of should we spread the wealth around uh and have a more even distribution of resources or should we keep it like it is in fact make it even more intensely where the top one two percent walk away with all the money yeah i'd say they have a really different understanding of the meaning of success right right he he talks about winning, meaning getting wealthy, yeah. and being the richest. Yeah, uh, she talks about she doesn't talk about winning per se, but she talks about success as uh, a success together, a, a rising tide. Yeah, it's almost like he loves sitting in his golden throne, literally that chair he uses, 
in his golden apartment on top of a huge skyscraper in New York, which has his name in gold letters that are three stories tall. That's to him success. Right. And to Hillary, her she's a little she's a little embarrassed by it. So that kind of financial success. And and I don't think she, I mean clearly she and Bill are not billionaires. Uh, and I don't know that he's maybe worth more than one or two billion, if that. And by the way, I mean. This campaign's going to be great for his brand. He's going to be so much richer coming out of this thing. Um, one other piece that we're, we're talking about in this paradigm shift and the, the polar opposites in this choice mm-hmm. that we actually didn't talk about before the show, but it really is climate change. Climate and, change. And whether it exists or not. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so blatantly clear that this election will define U.S. policy on climate change for the next four years. Yeah, I, and, I'll, and I'll give you another, another clash. You got one candidate who has admitted errors in the past which she would do differently. So she admits that her server was a bad idea in hindsight. Doesn't matter that Colin Powell had one. It was a bad idea. It's come back to haunt her. So it's a mistake. She said, I would have done it differently. The other candidate, Trump, believes that you can never admit a mistake. I think that's scary. Uh, You have another one, Trump, who believes that he is the strong man who can do it. And no one else but he can do it. Very, very much of a fascist approach. Yeah. And you've got this female who says, no, it's like it takes a village. It was her book 20 years ago. And um, we need everybody pulling together. We're a nation that works when we pull together. Another, give you another contrast that's just vivid as heck. You've got somebody who absolutely believes that you can manipulate the public endlessly. And you got somebody who believes that you, you want to raise the public up. And they're actually testing that theory yeah. in this campaign because his whole thing is essentially a PR campaign that right. some would used to call propaganda. Right. Uh, and the lines are very blurry between those two. Well, I, I actually think, you know, I mean, I, I think he really is clearly and, involved. I mean, he believes that he is a strong man. And he does, he believes, he has all the Mussolini tendencies, all of them. And he believes that's right. He believes Berlusconi was a good thing for Italy, which, of course, was a terrible tragedy for Italy. Um, so he's, you know, he believes that, that that Putin is a better president of Russia than Obama is of America, which is insane. Um, he believes that um, you can say anything, and it doesn't matter. And and if he wins, that will be true. But, right. but I think most importantly, what he believes is the advice that Hermann Goebbels gave to Adolf Hitler. And the advice was, if you want to win, you tell a very big lie. It's called the big lie technique. It's well documented. And you just keep telling that lie over and over again. Some percentage of the people will believe it. And when they do, that's all you need for your power base to get into power. Yep. Once you're in power, it doesn't matter. And and I think that's where he's coming from is uh, he's willing to tell the big lie over and over and over again, repeatedly many of them. And it, it, with no compunction. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm fascinated that, that Trump's um, biographer, Tony Schwartz, who wrote The Art of the Deal, uh, on careful reflection and pinned to it, said, no, he, the man is a sociopath. And fortunately, he kept all of his notes from when he interviewed Trump for those, the book. And when he, you should read his list of what he learned about Trump. It's frightening. Now, I said this is about the economy, not about politics. Right. So why did I just go into that long riff? The answer is... What is going on is a campaign based on fear versus love. And we're in the middle of the polarity between those two That's pieces. right. That's right. And so what's going? So fear is what Trump has got to sell. And I think it's an easier sale than most people realize because I think that racism is very much alive in America. 
I think that um, the average Johnny Lunchbucket white voter in the industrial rust belt uh, is feeling very alienated. In fact, I think the white male voter at the country club is feeling like they've lost their patriarchy. They've lost the right to special treatment. And they have. I mean, that, that's part of this election. It's true. This is the end of the white patriarchy in America when this election's over. We're deciding right now. Yeah, we're whether, deciding. Whether we're going to institutionalize it or destroy yeah. it. And and you and I were kidding about Sesame Street earlier today. I mean, this is really like that, that game on Sesame Street would say, one of these things is not like the other. And, and these two candidates are so diametrically opposed that it is a clear paradigmatical choice. Do we wish the paradigm of love and inclusion and we go forward knowing that our country is going to be a minority of white people in 20 years, knowing that we have to reform the criminal justice system, knowing that we have to even out the distribution of wealth, knowing that we have to lift the minimum wage so that no one who works a 40-hour week in America is living below the poverty line, which is immoral. You know, we go on and on. All these things, and the good news is, by the way, some of the stuff is happening we'll get to later. So this is the clash. This is what this election... And because the only way Trump can win is through fear, I am predicting... There will be a lot of fear between now and November 7th, and that's why gold. Yep. So he has to run on fear. He will stir fear. Uh, you can count on Putin doing anything he can to support it. I, I was amazed at the front page of the New York Times today, uh, which was uh, the 27th of July. Um, basically, the intelligence agencies in America have concluded that, yes, in fact, it was Russians who, um, who hacked the, the committee, the Democratic National Committee. Uh, shame on the Democratic National Committee for what they found, and shame on the Russians for hacking them and releasing it on the eve of the convention. Um, so it's clear there's big players afoot. You know, Paul Manafort, the head of the campaign for Trump, uh, for two years was on the payroll of uh, Poroshenko of the Ukraine, who was Putin's guy, and Putin was paying the bill. Putin amazing. actually paid that bill. It's amazing. It's amazing, okay? Yeah. Uh, and, and clearly... And, and some are calling it bigger than Watergate, if, yeah. that, if those connections can be made. Yeah, and I think that when this election's over and Trump loses, and I think he will lose, by the way, uh, I think he his, his ambition is he wants to be an oligarch. And he's going to get there because they will have great use for a guy like Trump in Russia. And he'll, get, he'll be allowed to make lots and lots of money because that entire country is one big kleptocracy run by Putin, who's the ultimate kleptocrat. So, so they're going to love it. They're going to get along like two peas in a pod till one of them decides, wait a minute, why am I sharing all this loot with the other crook? <laughs> but, be, but my point is gold. So what this fear is going to do is it's going to impact the American economy somewhat adversely, but it's going to really impact the, uh, dramatically impact the um, stock markets and people's fear. And therefore they will seek gold because gold historically over all the generations that's where you go when you're scared. You you hold gold and wait to see where it comes out. So, so during big paradigm shifts in the past, we've seen a flight to gold, right? I mean, constantly when there's a coup or something, people put their wealth into gold and wear wear that gold as they flee the country or something like that. That's right? where they go with it. That's yeah. exactly where they go with it. And and so where we want to be uh, as a as as a as a service that tries to advise people on how to take care of their financial affairs, be aware that this fear will impact adversely on the stock markets. It's already starting to. Uh, be aware that this fear doesn't come for free. It will have somewhat of an impact on the economy. However, good news, folks, the forces that are pushing the economy up are greater than the fear that Trump is going to create. So the economy will continue to improve in the second half of this year, not as fast as it would if this were a normal presidential year. 
it would clearly be doing better if this was a race between two real candidates, <clears throat> but it's not. So there will be a, somewhat of a negative uh, push on the economy. We'll talk about that later. So that's one reason to buy gold. The other one is inflation. And I think we're going to come back to that later. But, yeah, let's come back to inflation. So inflation is going to be a factor we'll talk about. It's happening. Some of why it's happening is very good. Uh, but we can talk about what... Let's talk about the what's going on in the EU and the Brexit situation. Okay, so let's talk about Brexit. Okay, so in the Brexit situation... It's the, Bre- the British exit from the Euro. Or from, sorry, from the European, European Union. Union. The EU. Which is both an economic union as to 27 countries and a political union as to 17. Britain actually was not in the 17. It was in the 27. But its condition for being in the 27 has now been violated. So they will be leaving the group of 27. Why is this so important? Well, there are thoughtful people. And I was just having a conversation last night, actually, with a very thoughtful British person with advanced degrees, very thoughtful, very prudent person who articulated the case for Brexit, I think incorrectly. I think she was wrong. I think that uh, the, the, the economy that's been hit, whacked so hard in Britain is going to get whacked worse. I don't think it's going to be a good thing in a year. That The British are saying that. It won't be. It'll be worse in a year than it is today. I think it could lead to the breakup of the entire European Union, which I think is very unfortunate for everybody in Europe and probably the global economy. Um, she's talked about the fact that the French, over two-thirds of the French want to Frexit or French leave, and that the Italians, um, Prime Minister Renzi, who um, uh, does not want to leave the Union, has petitioned for permission to be able to use state funding to back up Italy's woefully inadequate banking system. And the fear is that if he is not allowed to use state money to do so, uh, the banking system in Italy will collapse, and it will. And Italy never did clean up its banking system after 2008 like we did. So they do have a problem. They haven't addressed it. And now, in some ways, that's like Greece. So if the, if, if the EU continues to be as doctrinaire as it was with Greece, you'll get the same kind of chaos, except in a country like Italy, they won't put up with it, and they'll just leave. And Renzi said as much. So if he leaves, that's it for the French. At that point, you'd have the Germans, the Spaniards and a half a dozen other countries that would have to decide if they want to keep it going or not. Mm -hmm. Some people say the Spaniards won't want to keep it going. Some people say the Portuguese won't want to keep it going. No one really knows. But the key issue is, if the European Union breaks up, what does it mean to us? Well, two things. Number one, when people voted for Brexit, they could have made an intelligent choice to say, gee, I think we'd be better off out of the union for this reason, that reason, that reason, that reason. And you can make a plausible case, as this woman argued to me last night, why breaking up the political union of Europe is a good thing. Going back to a trading block approach to Europe, which is how they started, would be a good thing, et cetera, et cetera. So I can see how someone smart, postgraduate degrees, would vote for Brexit, even though, as an economist, I look at it and say, that was just crazy. Now, and everybody in the traditional side of government and academia all said it's crazy. And all the reasons they gave for why it would be crazy is what's happened. So the English pound has taken a complete, I mean, it's just been slaughtered. It's going to get worse, by the way, not better. This is not a temporary down bounce. This is like a permanent new lower state. This is going to look like a good number in a year. Hmm. Um, You're going to see a dramatic falling off of business. Um, The argument that was made to me again last night, which is not true, not correct in my humble opinion, is that more businesses will choose to locate in Europe, in England, because it will be cheaper. I don't see that. In fact, I've already seen, with direct personal experience, pressure on me with 
investments that I'm responsible for in the UK and Europe, where the pressure is now accelerated to pull out. Uh, and I think that that pressure is legitimate. I mean, pulling out makes a lot of sense. If people went to the UK, which they did, because it was the English-speaking gateway to Europe, 320 million consumers, that made sense. If it's no longer a gateway, it's a tiny little island, and Scotland is probably going to break away. Right. Um, so we'll, it's, not, it's not just the end of the British involvement in the EU. It's the end of the United Kingdom, potentially. It is. Yeah, and it's the end of the EU, potentially. So now, all of that to me is very, very bad for the global economy. None of it will hit us dramatically between now and November. So that's not a factor. But what is a factor is the psychology. Oh, well, they voted for Brexit and they're going to survive Brexit. So we could vote for Trump and let him shake things up. And that's just not true. As bad as Brexit a decision it was, there were colorable arguments you could make for it. There isn't a single colorable argument I can find for a Trump presidency. Other than that people want to throw a Molotov cocktail at the system. Now, there's reasons to be angry at the system, for sure. And including the fact that people have been really disadvantaged by a system that puts the interests of the top 1% above the bottom 95%. However, um, that's not a reason to throw a bomb. That's a reason to change the system. Mm. Um, and, and, and there are things that are in the Democratic platform, which without a doubt, without question, the Democratic platform is the most progressive document any public party, any national party has put forward in the history of the country. It, I mean, to go to the point of saying we pioneered free education in high school in the 1800s because you needed to have a high school education for our country to prosper, and to take that same logic and say we got to have free education for college because you need college education now. It isn't 1810 anymore, 1850. So we pioneered free public education in high schools. The whole world followed it. The rest of the world got there before us on free college education. I can go to Germany today as an American citizen, never become a German, and get a free university education. That's, that's incredible. Why would I have to leave my country to get a college education? So that, um, the fact that that plank is there will be a phenomenal uh, uh, rocket of future economic productivity that will affect this country 10 years out and beyond. But it won't give us anything in the next ten, five to ten years. By the way, it won't cost anything either because if you were to put back in place a taxing system which was far more generous to the wealthy than under Ronald Reagan, and that's, and that's not even talking about the fact that we built the country from 1946 to 1965 basically under General Eisenhower. He was there until 60, right? And all the programs he put in place. So we did that with tax rates that some people would say were confiscatory. The top tax rate was 90%. Yeah. A good tax rate was in the 60s. And you're talking about it, and, 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 and it is quite often said by uh, other commentators incorrectly that we have the highest tax rates in, in America, in the world. We don't. We, we actually don't even have anywhere close to the highest tax rates. Especially when you factor in all the loopholes and exceptions that get exactly. made for big business. So when you talk about real tax rates, a real tax, not effective tax rate, but actually the taxes paid. Turns out we have a huge, huge, you know, and you're talking about somewhere over $2 trillion is parked offshore waiting for another tax holiday. That's crazy. That money was earned. It's supposed to be taxed. And and, and a company that can't pay its fair share in tax shouldn't continue to exist. Um, it, that's their job is to pay taxes. It, 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 that's part of what they give back to society. So let's let's go back here and, and, and just touch on the, the fear piece and then we'll move on to the inflation piece. I mean, I think that 
we keep talking about polarities and you and you brought up the the fact that the platform of the Democratic Party is the most progressive platform we've ever seen. And then you look at the platform of the Republican Party and it's the most regressive platform we've seen in a long time. I mean, uh, I don't know the history of the Republican platform as well as I'd like to, but it it definitely isn't uh, a document that stands for much else besides uh, more tax cuts for the rich and cuts in social spending, even though you know Trump claims on the stump that he's for social security and some of the social spending the 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 actual implications for the the budget in their platform would be disastrous um so well the platform is misogynistic it's racist it's it's elitist it's designed for the richest and 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 not everybody else i mean it's exactly what you would get if we keep going down the direction we've been heading the last since 1970s and and it's just it's insane. By the way, can I throw in here that we actually started to make progress this year? Yeah. So let's move to that. Let's move to exactly what we're looking at in terms of the analysis of the GDP that we've been making yeah. and how that how that integrates with your inflation prediction. Yeah. Well, the the the, the so what we've been talking about is, is happening. It's all been happening. So oil prices stayed low, like we said they would, um, down below fifty dollars a barrel, around fifty. Um, we've been consistently right on that, um, and um, I'll, I'll come back to oil in a second and give you a prediction on oil in a second. But So the, the, the decrease in the price of oil put more disposable income in people's pockets because they weren't putting it in their gas tank. Two things happened. One, they started buying bigger cars, unfortunately. The other thing is they started spending more, in, in, in particularly in service industry-related spending. So right now we're sitting here with a, uh, an unemployment rate of 5% or a little bit less, which is pretty much structural unemployment. It's, with economy as complex as ours, you're always going to have friction, meaning people changing between jobs. And when you do, you're always going to have a certain amount of unemployment in between. That is no longer an issue because what's happening is the lowest paid workers are now being paid voluntarily more because they can't be attracted. In fact, it's going beyond payment. Um, Starbucks announced initially about six months ago it was going to raise the minimum wage up to nine and a half dollars and then that, and now i think they're going to 15 in some markets and it turns out they can't get enough baristas so guess what they did last week hmm. this is funny what's that this is so funny so the next time you go to starbucks note this they aren't all going to be wearing uniforms anymore you don't have to wear the black shirt in fact you can have any color hair you want you can wear metal you can wear a hat any kind of hat wow okay and the idea was they came up and they, they admitted it. it's like we can't get enough workers so we're going to give them more freedom in the workplace to express themselves. That, together with a higher wage, will hopefully bring us more people. Now, in turn of fact, it'll help a little. But what's really going to help is you've got to get up to 15 bucks an hour. Yeah. And, and, and there is no reason why anybody in America shouldn't be expecting to get to 15 bucks an hour. And it's, it's, it, it ought to be a commitment. I know it is for me and every business that I'm involved in. Uh, I have a, one company right now, which is an organic food company, um, and I was looking at our wage structure there when I got reinvolved about a year ago. I, I was sort of passive, and, and I had to get reinvolved, as you know, and I got reinvolved. and said, oh, my God, we're not paying people enough money. We're, we're below an, a, a reasonable cost of living. We, we, you know, we, we were paying people $9 and $10, and it was just, it was just crazy. So I said, okay, well, we've got to get that up. 
So we started bumping everything up to 12, 12.50, and we're going to hit 15, I think, within another year or so. So, because you, you can't, it's hard to go from nine to 15 in one jump. You, you just prudent, you got to go in steps. But we didn't, we, I don't think we have anybody below 12 now. Uh, and if we do, I'll, I don't know of them. Uh, and the next stop will be to get everybody up to 13, 14, and 15. And I'd like to be at 15 in one year. I won't let it go past another two years, but I think I can get there in one year. And you're seeing that trend across the economy in part because of an actual social movement for higher wages yes. that's being spurred on by this national conversation we just had about the Democratic well, and, and, and we've covered in prior shows going back a year about how we said there would be a positive impact when places like Seattle and San Francisco go to $15 minimum, and they did. And, and it, it's been hugely successful. So instead of Seattle going broke and everybody leaving town, it turns out the Seattle economy is booming of the $15 minimum wage. Uh, you see this now across the country with, uh, I think, 26 different jurisdictions have pushed for a higher um, minimum wage. And you see the, un, the inexorable pressure to 15. And the reason is, I believe 15 times 40 week, hours a week is the definition of the poverty line. Uh, yeah, I think, so, I think it's actually higher. Let's see. It's it, you, you got to get to the point where, and this is a moral comment, but it's actually a good economic comment. This economy works best if everybody who has a full time job is above the poverty line. Yeah, I think I think fifteen dollars an hour times forty hours times fifty two is thirty one thousand two hundred dollars. So that's above the poverty line of twenty two something. Twenty two, twenty four. Yeah. Yeah. But barely. Yeah, but it, but it's it's enough to make it's more of a living wage as opposed to a subsistence that's right, wage. That's right. Well, in fact, I would go depending where you are. <laughs> I would say that the below that's not even subsistence. What it is is starvation. It's a starvation wage. It's 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 an invitation to obesity because all you can afford is carbohydrates. You can't afford fresh vegetables. And there's a sub, there's a sub, uh, subsidy coming from the U.S. government because most people who are Absolutely. making less than that Absolutely. are on food stamps or other assistance exactly. programs. And 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 then you have higher health care costs because they can't get on health care programs. So what's true for America today that wasn't true seven and a half years ago is uh, we, we aren't losing 800,000 jobs a month. We've gained 14 million. And by the way, I want to put that in context. The gain of jobs under Obama in the last seven and a half years exceeds the total combined job growth of all the other Western democracies combined. That's how good we've done. And, and that in the face of constant, constant obstructionism by the other party, by the other Republicans. Now, I would love to be, and I was once a big fan of some of the people in the, in the Republican Party, and I'd love to be a fan of Republicans again. But to get there, I want to see more Republicans doing the honorable thing. Even when I disagree, I disagree, for example, with John Kasich's um, view on abortion. I disagree with him about whether or not a woman should have the right to control her own body. I disagree with him on, um, on his views of separation of church and state. So there's a lot of political issues I disagree with him on. But what I really respect is that in his home state, he did not go to that convention. I respect the fact that, that the two Bushes, Herbert and George, chose not to go to that, even though the past Republican presidents. Uh, I think that says a lot about them and new respect for me for that. And it's not just because Jeb got beat up by a bully. It, 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 it's also because they realized that that platform doesn't stand for what they've been for all these years. Um, I think the fact that Romney, who Lord knows, I mean, he's a one percenter plutocrat of the first order, probably richer than than Trump, in my humble yeah. opinion, and that he would say, look, he crossed the line. So any Republican who has crossed that line and is supporting Trump because he's the nominee and is willing to look past the fact 
that as his own biographer said, he's a sociopath. So he, he lies for convenience and to advance himself and does so without remorse. Um, and, and is only only after his own interests. Well, that that is the end of the Republican Party as you know it. So I'm, I think that some of the adult Republicans are stepping back. They're waiting till this rout which I hope happens in November. I hope it's not even a close call because I'd hate to think it's a close call in America when I, when I give you these two polar opposites, that it would even be a close race is, to me, very frustrating and crazy-making. But when that's over, where will we be in America? I think we will be with a, we'll have a Democratic Senate, a Democratic presidency, and we'll have probably a slight majority of Republicans in the House, although they'll lose some seats. At that point, I believe the Republicans who are left will start to rebuild their party and they will look for consensus. I think it's the end of the Tea Party era blocking things like shut down the government. I think it's the end of the Tea Party controlling the agenda. And all of a sudden, people who really have their own best interests at heart, the working people, are going to say, well, what are you doing for me? Oh, I don't think you were doing it or I wouldn't have gotten behind Trump. So now take care of me. How do I get more money? How, How do I get a better wage? Uh, and, and I just want to make one comment. If we have time, we'll come back to it. If we don't, I won't. After this election's over, and I'm, I'm predicating on the assumption that Hillary will be the president, that there will be a Democratic Senate, I am predicting that 2017 will be one of the best economic years in history, followed by 2018, which will be the best in history, followed by 2019, which will, be, which will blow you away how good it's going to be. So when I'm talking how good, I'm not talking limping along at 2 to 3% growth or barely 2% above inflation. I'm talking about seeing 5% or better wow. by 2018. That's even better than Jeb Bush numbers. Yeah. Okay, well, let, let, let's circle back to nuts and bolts here, Ronaldo, because one of the things you wanted to talk about here is the revision uh, or the revisions of GDP growth in, in, the, in the wider economic conversation coming up to meet where you were at starting a late last year of 3%. Yeah, I think what I said is at 3% by the second half of the year, and we're going to be there. Um, and, and that's kind of remarkable given, again, the, the constant obstruction. And the fear. I mean. And the fear. I mean, the fear is really huge because people tend not to spend when they're scared. So why is the stock market doing so well even in the face of all this? Because it's inescapable that the economy of the United States of America has been growing better than all the other Western democracies by far. So money is coming here because there's nowhere better to go, or they well, actually uh, believe in it. No, that that's okay. Two different things. First of all, you are correct. Money's money's flooding into the country because people are afraid to leave it anywhere else. But now they're wondering, wow, if Trump gets in, you know, then maybe American bonds aren't so good. I mean, this is the only person who ever had the temerity to say that he would renegotiate America's debt. I got to tell you. Pull out of the WTO. Pull out of the World Trade Organization. Yeah. If you want to know how to scare Wall Street, I was just, as you know, on Wall Street last week. And I got to tell you, you could fire a cannon in the middle of Wall Street and you could not hit a Trump supporter. I mean, Wall Street is petrified. They they don't like what Hillary says about them. They don't like that she's going to try and break up the banks. They don't like there's going to be a new Glass-Steagall Act. But they they like the fact that the game will continue. Trump is talking about ending the game as we know it. But see, when you say stuff like that, it makes me want to vote for Trump. Why? Because I, would, I like it when Wall Street gets afraid of something. But no. I know that's just my reaction. No, no, no. See, but, but see, that's also the immaturity of youth. I'll tell you what I mean. No, no, here's what I mean by that. <laughs> no, I get it. No, you, because see, the fact is, 
you don't want to not have a Wall Street. You want to have a Wall Street that works for us. Sure. Right now, it's been it, it's been treating us like a predator. Yeah, we need to put it back in. We need to put place. it back in proper sure. perspective. And by the way, it's like you, you don't want to hate the economy. You want the economy to produce good middle class jobs. Like, right. give, give an example, real quick one. We could easily, and, and and it wouldn't cost us a penny because the debt we would use to create this, we would pay back instantly from the increased economic activity. We could create a two trillion, and should, a two trillion dollar jobs bill in this country. Two trillion would begin as a down payment, it's not even the full bill, to repair our bridges, our highways, our, our public buildings, and most importantly, our water systems. Mm. When people hit the Flint thing, they thought it was just Flint, Michigan. There are over 2,000 water districts in America with elevated levels of lead above where it is safe. Now, what does lead do when you drink it? Makes, makes it you makes you IQ stupid. Lower, yeah. Lowers your IQ. So if we've been drinking and lead, makes you violent. It makes you violent. If we've been drinking lead water for two generations, and we have, it seems to me that that two generations of drinking lead has actually explains why we are willing to vote for a sociopath. Yeah. In any level. Interesting. Yeah. So we got to we got to clear. So a two trillion dollar. Now, what does two trillion dollars buy you? Here's the beauty of it. $2 trillion, when you put it into jobs in America, so this is building bridges, building highways, replace, repairing schools, replacing uh, sewer systems that are broken. The, the entire L line in, in Manhattan is going to be closed for 18 months because it's been over 100 years since they dug the hole. All my friends from New York are panicking. and uh, they got to be. When the L goes down just for a little while, <laughs> half of Williamsburg gets picked up in black cars to go into Manhattan for their jobs. I mean... Yeah. So it tells you who's actually in Williamsburg, yeah. despite the kind of vision of a of a hipster paradise. It's, yeah. it's a lot of people who work in Midtown. But my point is that yeah, you're absolutely right. Our infrastructure could use a massive boost. That could has to have. Yeah. Okay. Now here's the numbers. This is what I love it. So the numbers are: if you spend two trillion, which is a conservative number, I, I for me I'd hire, but I think that's what Hillary will come out at. You spend that two trillion dollars. What you get back is ten trillion dollars of increased economic activity relatively quickly, like over a period of within three years after you spend the $2 trillion. Now, how does $10 trillion of new wealth compare with the total GDP of America today? Well, the total GDP of America today is only around 16. So we're talking about doubling the U.S. economy close to it with just a $2 trillion jobs bill. And I haven't even started talking about what happens when you make college free. I haven't started talking about what happens when you, uh, when you change the rules. So, for example, consumer fraud protection that Elizabeth Warren put in place against all those objections. And Obama, yeah. And Obama. Over $11 billion has been returned to middle class people who were cheated by the banks. $11 billion already. What do you do with that? Well, you spend it because it wasn't stolen from you anymore. And when you spend it in our consumer economy, 75% of our economy is, 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 is spending, all of a sudden there's more people with jobs because you can't keep them full. And I, I, de I defy you. I mean, I live in Santa Barbara, California. I commute to Ventura all the time for business. And I, I can't find a hamburger joint that doesn't have a hiring sign outside because they're all looking for waivers, people who work at the bottom level of the wage structure, and they aren't there anymore. And so what happens when you get a guy and you pay him or her to build a bridge at $30 an hour? Or you get them, you pay them $25 as an apprentice to go repair a water system. All of a sudden, you're talking creating massive levels of wealth. 
and, and, and just so people know this is not a pie-in-the-sky dream, the highest ratio of debt to GDP in the history of the United States was in 1946 at the end of World War II. And what happened is Eisenhower basically, together with the Democrats, put together a massive jobs program called the Interstate Highway System. And that together with another massive jobs program called Building Middletown, um, Levittowns in suburbia, those two together created so much growth in the economy that the line showing debt to GDP drops almost like a stone because the GDP is growing so much faster than the debt. So all of a sudden the debt becomes a smaller and smaller fraction of your take-home income, so to speak, as a right. country. And we know how to do that. We did it only in the United States. We did it in Europe. We did it in Japan. And it's time to do it again. So the global Marshall Plan, which is what I'm going to advocate again, and I've been talking about for years and years, that's an additional two to five trillion globally. And what does that do for you? What that will do is it will tend to be the thing that stops, finally stops ISIS. Hmm. There's an old saying in France, men with full bellies do not make revolution. If you really want to know how to stop ISIS, help the countries where they are supported have a livable society. Yeah, we should actually go into that more in, a, in probably our next show, or the, uh, Ronaldo. I want to I go there because it's really interesting uh, your your ideas for that. I, I don't think we have time right now, and I want to I want to bring us back to the inflation trigger and 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 exactly what you're seeing in terms of how that's going to work here in the U.S. Okay, well, it's already started. I mean, we are at a seven year high now as of today on um, the benchmark interest rates because so much money's flooding into the country, and uh, and because there's an expectation of these new rules coming out in October, everyone. Uh, be watching for this. We'll be covering this in the show in, in September, October, and November. There are new rules taking effect on money market funds where you'll be able to put money into a money market fund and get a higher rate of interest than like, you know, a half of 1%. Uh, and there'll be some restrictions on it. But that program launches mid-October. And there's a lot of belief that that will tend to cause capital to stabilize and not be sloshing so quickly back and forth. Uh, I think you're going to see so can, can you tell me, before we go a little further, can you talk to me a little bit more about what inflation is? Yeah, sure. So there are many different types of inflation. There's so-called wage push inflation. So wage push inflation occurs when people make more money, which is now starting to happen. So as people make more money, average people, then they push up the cost of that product because they can buy things or that service. are more expensive, so prices rise. And they also, the employer who paid them more is going to raise their price to cover that. Okay. So that causes a further, then the employee says, well, then I need to raise my wages because the inflation is going up higher. I need to. So you can get, and actually you can get caught in a very nasty spiral of wage price push, wage price push inflation. But um, I don't think that's going to happen here. Two reasons. One, we're so far in the other direction where we're paying a non-livable wage, as we said earlier, that we, we, we can't go through that for the next two to four years. It's going to be an issue. Okay. And, and then we'll keep looking at it, but it's not an issue. Another type of inflation is basically commodity push. So when the commodity prices of stuff go up, copper, steel, used to be coal, coke, uh, not coal, but coke, the, the mineral. Electricity? Um, well, they, that Not follows. That, that becomes, but but oil, of course, has been yeah. the big one. So when you have a commodity increase, which we were having for a while because of China, and China was sucking up so many commodities, pushing all the commodity prices up, that causes the cost of a car to go up if the steel costs more. 
So that's a price push kind of inflation. And that's not happening at all. That's and in fact the opposite's happening. Um, as I commented earlier, oil prices are are relatively flat and aren't going anywhere in the near future. Uh, and you've got um, uh, all the basic mining materials, minerals for the most part. Certain there are some very minor exceptions like lithium and rare earths, uh, rare earth metals and lithium, a little bit more. But because that's a unique thing with batteries, uh, right now you're looking at commodity prices as actually helping to restrain inflation. The third thing that happens with inflation is inflationary expectation. So when people start to think the prices are going to go up, that expectation itself can cause inflation because then people start assuming, gee, I better spend it today because it'll be worth less tomorrow. Classic example that would say would be the Brazil back in the 70s and 80s where you know, you're seeing a thousand percent inflation a month kind of thing. Um, clearly that's what happened after World War I to the Germans and the Weimar Republic that gave rise to Hitler was result of that. So what, we, what we're seeing is uh, today, uh, none of the historical inflationary pushes are there, but what is starting to build is wages. And that's a good thing. So that inflationary pressure is now coming along and it's going to continue to build. The second kind of inflation we're starting to see is that people, have, we've gone through a lot of belt tightening since 2008. Uh, because the money never got returned to us by the banks that they took and, or lost. Um, there's that big hole we're still filling. And as a result, um, we're looking at right now where people are playing a little catch-up with prices. So they've been holding off purchasing things that they can wait on and, well, for and, as long as they and can. And holding off on increasing prices to, to suitable margins. Um, okay. So taking a lesser margin because you want to stay in business, but you know it's been a while since you had a raise. Um, and, and you also have a situation now in the United States where because the economy was so bad for so long uh, in the Great Recession, uh, uh, a lot of people who would have set up a company to start a business really set up a sole proprietorship. Instead, they, yeah. they found a way to make it for themselves but not to build a big business on it and found that that was preferable. So that particular type of situation leads itself as those people have more and more jobs to do and this, again, is a service economy, they charge more. So the rates go up. So you've seen, for example, legal fees, if you've been watching, have been going down since 2008. Now, all of a sudden, 2016, they're starting to go up again. Um, you see the same thing happened to accounting fees. It went down from 2008. Now it's starting to creep up. Um, I bet you're going to, you, 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 we see it in the medical field constantly. Now, Obamacare has reduced the increase dramatically, but they're still going up by a double digit. So there are all these issues. And by the way, I think, a great way to deal with inflation would be look at the places where inflation is built in and it could be, could be extricated at no cost or positive gain. And that would be, for example, letting the Medicare negotiate for the price of drugs. If, if, we, if we could negotiate for the price of drugs in America, like every other country in the world, we'd pay 40% less for drugs, 30 to 40% less. That is a massive number. So to, to me, you know, we deflationary. Spent, we, we've spent about... The first three quarters of the show talking about why buy gold, essentially. Mm -hmm. The big ones are fear and, and inflation. inflation. To me, it sounds like you are actually relatively optimistic about those two forces not being as severe in the medium term as they are in the short term. Right. Yeah. Exactly right. In fact, if you look at post-November 7th, again, I make the assumption that Hillary is going to be the president, probably a Democratic Senate, some loss of Republican seats in the House, thereby freeing up responsible Republicans to meet with responsible Democrats on policies that make sense for the public, for the country. I think that that is going to be 
a very, very positive economy in 2017 and hugely positive in 2018. Now, it's certainly not going to be that way between now and the election because you're going to hear this fear drumbeat. It's crescendoing, and it's going to hurt us, both in the economy and it's going to hurt us in terms of our psychology. And that's why I say gold, when you take Brexit, which the Brits are wrong, it's as bad as they got hurt in the last month, they're going to get hurt a lot worse in the next 11 months. Uh, the risk to the EU, Frexit, French leaving, Italia exit, whatever that is, uh, and the possibility of the EU breaking up itself, all of those things together are going to lead to fear. Fear is what causes gold to go up. And inflationary pressures in the U.S. will cause it to go up as well. There will be deflationary pressures in Europe because of Brexit and other reasons. Uh, and I think you're going to see um, way more terrorism because ISIS has lost 40% or more of its territory already. It's going to lose another 30 to 40% in the next 6 to 12 months. That will leave them with only one tool, which is terrorism. And it's very hard to defend what are called soft targets in, in, in the Western democracies. And I think, you know, the million people that fled primarily Africa and the Middle East this year to Europe uh, are going to be rebuffed in the future. And it won't be one million next year, it'll be two. And I think there's one other thing that's going to happen that we have to all be watching, and that is it was 126 degrees in Phoenix two weeks ago. And um, that's not sustainable. And um, you can bet it's going to get to 130 degrees in Phoenix within two years. And that's certainly not sustainable. And you're going to see much more violence in terms of violent storms in the Midwest. Uh, there will be another sandy event at some point on the East Coast, whether it's going to hit New York again or Washington or Baltimore or wherever. A big one in Florida, yeah. There's, well, Florida is gurgling already. I mean, when you see a newscaster in Miami on a clear, sunny day standing in two feet of water... It gurgled up from the ground. Yeah, it's, It reminds me of Venice, Italy. <laughs> if you go to St. Mark's Square, that's what happens. It gurgles up because the, the water's higher in the, in, in the lagoon in Venice than it is in, in the altitude of St. Mark's Square. Anyway, I think so. I'm really optimistic about the, about the progressive platform. It will make incredible amounts of wealth. Even the Koch brothers will do better despite the fact they don't like it. Yeah, when that Repub when that democratic platform begins to be executed. And unlike those people who are cynical and say, well, you elect another Democrat, they're just going to get the same thing Obama got, nothing will get done. I don't agree with that. I think the Republican Party, and that's why I made the comments I did about responsible Republicans, the Republican Party is going to rebuild itself after this election. And one of the ways it will do that is by demonstrating that it actually wants to do things that are meaningful and useful to the American public. And so that they will want Paul Ryan, who did create a budget um, with uh, uh, Senator uh, Patty uh, Murray. Murray, um, they were able to get a budget done last year. And I believe it'll be easier for Paul Ryan to get that done when this Tea Party Trumpism thing is finally beat back into an appropriate. I mean, what what Trumpism really should be is something that could appeal to ten to fifteen percent of a very religious community in a very backward part of the country with very few people who have college degrees. So when you look at that definition, it says it's really a minority of a minority, and the Republican Party can be another powerful institution once it gets that passed and it stops letting it run. Once it pops the boil. Yeah, which is what it's doing. So one thing we, one thing I want to talk so that's good news. That's optimistic uh, after we get through this big paradigm shift. So I'm glad to hear you say that. Uh, you know, I personally have been experiencing the fear 
and uh, been pretty had my head pretty deep into the political conversation lately. Um, so I, I like your outlook, and I, I'm seeing the same thing. You know, I uh, actually posted something to Facebook that I wanted to share uh, with everyone here. It's uh, from a, a regular person on, on on Instagram, actually, but I shared it on Facebook. But she she wrote, "Things are not getting worse; they're getting uncovered, and we must hold each other tight and continue to pull back the veil." And I think that's right. I think that captures how I'm feeling. Is you know. People are wondering what's going on in the world, and, and the, the definition of apocalypse is is the revelation, the lifting of a veil, right? That, that's the other definition. Uh, <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> the other one's and, worse. <laughs> and, and and my point is though that you know let's let's continue to be logical and as calm as we can be, and really hold on to our values as we deal with the fear that's in our lives, and remember that the most strengthening thing we can do is to look to the to the optimistic side of what is possible instead of retreating into our fear mode. Uh, you know, buy gold, so, you know, hedge your bet, be, be, be prudent, but don't freak out. Well, actually, you know, there's a great Muslim expression for that, okay? Praise Allah, be grateful for what God gives, and tether your camel. Make sure your camel's tied up. <laughs> so the buy gold is the tether your camel part. And remember, I said 10% 20 tops. That leaves 80% for everything else. So it's not like I'm saying, you know, a gold bug would say, you know, buy gold and sell everything. I'm not saying that. I think that's not prudent. And by the way, I continue to like, and people know this, and I've turned out I've been right on this one. In fact, there's been a lot of good articles on this in the last 12 months. I continue to like high dividend stocks. So there was a report that came out recently um, from a key, some key players in Wall Street pointing out that stock dividends are becoming a major driver in, in why people buy stocks. So if I can get three, four percent, which is what I can get buying General Motors, for example, or Ford, or you name it. Uh, when, I buy a, when I buy a stock that's a quality stock that's going to pay me three to four percent or more, and in, in my case, everybody knows my, um, I'm on the board of Taylor Brands, uh, our dividend was at, uh, with, at the price, it's, it's like 5.96 percent. So if you can get a dividend of that kind of yield in a one percent world, of course you want to buy that stock. Of course, you want to buy uh, the, 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 the the 3M, which pays a great dividend. Um, so, um, a good dividend stock paying you, at, and, and I'm talking a solid stock with very, very, very little capital risk, almost none. You can get a three to six percent dividend on today. So, of course, you want that in your portfolio. Gold it, is either going to appreciate or it's not, but you don't get any interest on it, no dividends. Uh, another report that came out, by the way, and it came out from a group headed up by Jamie Dimon, who is probably, if there was a Darth Vader of Wall Street, he would be it. He's the one you would pick as that. And they came out and basically said they want to recommend doing away with what's called guidance on Wall Street, which is this game people have been playing to predict where the stock price should be based on where they think it's going to go. And as Dimon and his group, which included Warren Buffett, by the way, uh, they released a statement saying, you know what? Giving guidance is really, they didn't use the word, but it's manipulating the market. Mm -hmm. And it, it does more harm than good. They did use those words. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're seeing the sea change. Another thing that happened, the Security Exchange Commission did just about a month and a half, two months ago. They finally ordered companies. And it's a quick, and now they went from asking the question, should we do X, to coming up with a rule in basically one year. That's unheard of. In SEC time, you talk about it for two to three years before you do anything. And the rule says... You're not, we're not going to look favorably if you give what are called adjusted numbers. We believe in gap accounting. 
you will live or die by gap. And if you try to do adjusted numbers to get people to look at those rather than your gap numbers, we think that by definition is not transparency. Mm. So this is a huge change for companies. Interesting. Yeah, huge. So change. that's an incentive to get them to stop cooking their books and well, to stop to stop playing games. Me making yeah, stop trying to adjust the reality set and deal with the set that is. So if you don't give guidance, you don't report where you think you're going to be in six months, 12 months, or a year. You report where you are. Right now. Where did you get to? Yeah. And you can explain it. You should explain it. Um, I was with Paul Pullman, my friend who's the CEO of Unilever, which is a $57 billion a year company. Who's probably one of the best CEOs in your in the, in the world right now. I'd say, say he's, yeah, he's certainly one of the top two or three CEOs in the world for all kinds of reasons. And, you know, Paul and I were together for a whole day there back there in, in Boston. And, and um, Paul, the first thing he did when he got in, into Unilever was he suspended guidance. He said, I'm never going to do it again. And he's so glad he didn't. He explained to the securities analyst we were talking to why. And for all the reasons that several days later, Jamie Dimon came out and said, yep, that's, right, that's true. Now, Wall Street loved that game because it's an insider's game. And that game is changing. So anytime you can change Wall Street and make it more like what it was designed to be, which was really an exchange instead of an insider's game, you, you come ahead. Uh, the next thing I'm looking for is I'm looking for a rule that stops program trading. And even on that front, huge breakthrough. I mean, a massive breakthrough happened. People don't know about you. Ready? The SEC finally authorized a new stock exchange to go into business. Who's been fighting for about three to four years? Hazel Henderson and her friends have been behind this. Hmm. And this stock exchange basically prohibits program trading. Interesting. And and the New York Stock Exchange, Nasdaq, they fought this like you couldn't believe, because they don't want to give up the monopoly. But at the end of the day, if you put your stock on this exchange your stock has less chance of being played with because program trading won't work. I, would, I believe that that beachhead will expand and one day program trading won't exist on the New York Stock Exchange. And it shouldn't. It should be illegal for a whole bunch of reasons. And I'm happy to talk. In fact, I wish people would ask me questions about this stuff. Tell me, ask me the question, why should it be illegal? Why should program mm-hmm. trading be illegal? How does it hurt me, John or Susie Q. Public? I'd love to explain that. Yeah, and if you do have questions, please do write to us, info, I-N-F-O, at worldbusiness.org. I-N-F-O at worldbusiness.org. So, Ronaldo, why don't you give me the two-minute version of your situ- of your predictions on oil prices and, and why we're there? Yeah, real short. Um, because the, the supply continues to outrun demand, and the major oil companies have done every trick that's always worked in the past, every trick in the book they've used in the last three or four months, and they've all failed. Uh, gasoline is selling for $1.87 a gallon in Georgia today. Uh, if you take inflation adjustment to the prices in 1970, it's way above $1.87. So the price of gas has gone backwards. And I think um, it will not go forward because the supply will always now, from this point forward, outrun the demand. And I think what's going to happen, and what I'm calling for, and I've mentioned this now to a couple of securities people, I want to see the major oil companies' balance sheets reviewed and I believe there's more water, or certainly as much water as oil on those balance sheets, meaning they have got the value of their reserves, their quote proven reserves, at what they think the price of the oil would be if they sold it roughly today. The problem is they can't get it out of the ground and sell it for that price today. So number one, I think there's the, the, the reserves are way too high. And, and I think it's a Securities and Exchange Commission issue. I think that the statements that Exxon and Shell are putting out now are inaccurate and are misleading. And the SEC should take note. I believe the securities industry is beginning to take note. The second problem with their reserves, 
and why this is going to continue to work against them is that the total amount of oil in reserves by all the major countries, all the major oil companies, is far more, probably double what could ever be used because the demand will continue down over time. You're going to have a decrease in demand in the transportation side, not just electric cars, not just fuel cell cars, but a variety of other technologies. And you're going to have a tremendous decrease uh, in the energy side, as we've talked about. And, you know, I, 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 I want to end this show by saying I'm extraordinarily pleased. Everybody who follows the Academy know that, that we got this huge victory for Diablo Canyon closing, the nuclear power plant. Uh, and one of the big things in that deal, because that all got engineered because of us originally. We were the ones who created the deal, and we said, okay, here's what's got it. The three pieces have to be 100% replacement with green energy. No utility in the state of California has ever agreed to that before. We've been arguing for three years, and now we've been proven right. Of course you can replace it with green energy. It is a silly argument that was made, but they wouldn't give it up because they made more money off of fossil fuels. Now they can't go back and say, oh, gee, we were just kidding. And, and, and by the way, Edison, who's not a party to that agreement, can't say they can't do it because if PG&E can do it, then Edison can go to do it. And they all can do it. Number two, we said you got to allow for workers. You can't just close these plants and not allow for retraining and rehiring. And frankly, I don't think the agreement that we've got is good enough on that subject. Yeah. I'd like to get a tougher one. And the third thing we got, of course, is no more nuclear power for Diablo Canyon because the thing is inherently too dangerous. Now, the thing we didn't get, which we will be fighting for, and we've already notified the State Lands Commission, we will be filing suit in the very near future. We will sue for the fact that the State Lands Commission did not have the authority under law to deny us the fourth part of that deal. And the fourth part was that they would hold an environmental impact review under the California Environmental Quality Act, or CEQA. We believe the law of the state of California is very clear. They had to do a CEQA. They don't have the authority not to do it. And we believe that when that CEQA is performed, it will draw attention to the continuing environmental destruction and unbelievable health hazards of that plant. Having said that, Nuclear power is going to go away, despite what you hear from the industry. It's going to be replaced by green power. And at the end of the day, every time we do that, it reduces the demand for oil. So I, I see the continuing demand for oil, uh, just like coal now is in a negative demand state. I believe that uh, oil is going to follow, and ultimately natural gas, which has served as a transition fuel, it too will go into total, it, it decline in terms of total BTUs utilized. As the demand for green resources grow. And I guess the way I would end this comment is we had a paradigm shift, a change of consciousness on December 20th last year. Yeah. And Paris was that change. It's very rare you get to see a tipping point go, oop, that's when it happened. And that's when it happened. The world made a decision in Paris that it was going to be altering its, its, its addiction to fossil fuels, that it could not survive that addiction. Because of climate change. Because of climate change. And they're right. It's non-survivable. So so that moment is the moment in time that we can mark that is the the nail in the coffin for the future of the oil industry in your opinion. Yeah. And and and, and is consistent with what we've been saying and predicting for the last 3 or 4 years as the inevitability of that because climate change is so massive. What's happened is and, and Paul Pullman by the way was one of the key executives that testified in Paris towards why that climate change approach is good for business. Business finally figured it out. It's, it's not economically survivable to keep sucking up and creating CO2 and destroying the planet. It is not economically survivable. So businesses are now getting, uh-oh, we better fix this. Because if we don't, we're going to be in real trouble financially. We're going down with the ship also. That's right. And, it, you know, and no matter how good you think the owner's suite is, if on the side <laughs> of the bow it says Titanic, you don't want to be in that ship. Right. You just Absolutely. don't want to be in that ship. Well, 
I love the the positive outlook, Ronaldo, and everyone hold tight and let's keep uh, the questions coming. Let us know what you want to hear about. Write into us at info at worldbusiness.org. Ronaldo, until next time, thank you very much. Thanks very much, Matt. Thanks, everyone. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.